the prophet cries to the people of God across the world and down the ages, if you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, and if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness. Then your gloom will be like the noonday. Blaming and finger-pointing and speaking of evil is a yoke, something that binds us and makes us less than we are. Where doing justice and loving mercy and being compassionate makes us noble. There's a lot of finger-pointing that goes on around Jesus, especially when he heals on the Sabbath. He gets in conflict with the religious authorities while the crowd, the masses, blow whichever way the wind seems to be going at the moment. Some of you are familiar with John Meacham's work. John Meacham is the editor of of Newsweek who's stepping down after 15 years in that role. And he wrote, in a sense, he wrote about the crowd in a recent editorial. He was reflecting on the waxing and waning of presidential popularity noting that even the most revered figures in our history have suffered what Obama is suffering and what a President McCain would be suffering too, the corrosive effects of a restless present that cares very little about the past, even the recent past, and wants to know only what you're going to do for it next. The crowd blows with the wind, one day rejoicing and the next pointing fingers, but rarely heeding the prophet's call to do justice. Now, being part of the crowd, being in the majority, is actually a place most of us like to be. Most of us prefer that sense of fellow feeling that often appears to be unity, uh, and we prefer it to standing out or being different or being distinctive most of the time. Many years ago, I found myself, how I got there is a long story, but found myself as the only Carolina fan of the Carolina basketball game in the middle of the Illinois supporters. And, and thank God Carolina won that day. But, but it's very odd to be the only one cheering when everyone else is sort of not cheering in, the, in that direction. It's a strange place, and it actually takes some of the enjoyment of the whole business out of, out of it. We don't particularly enjoy standing alone. One of you told me the story, this, this business starts very early, of finding fellow feeling, of finding unity, and often... Uh, in order to have this fellow feeling, we have to have an other, have to have the other team or someone who's not part of what's going on. And one of you told me the story of a little girl, your little girl, who was playing with another little girl. And a little boy came up and said, and asked to join in, can I play with you? No, you can't. Well, why not? He said, because we're sunbathing and, and, and uh, we're in our bathing suits and you don't have a bathing suit. He said, but you're not wearing bathing suits. She said, yes, but we're pretending we are and that you're not. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) See, all too often our sense of fellow feeling, our sense of unity is dependent on there being someone excluded, someone who's not like us, someone who's wrong about this or that, someone who's the other team. And we've all participated at one time or another in this creation of fellow feeling at someone else's expense. But the scriptures call us to a different way and say that kind of unity is not the unity of the Holy Spirit. The unity of the Holy Spirit is something different. Our story, the story of Jesus, 
The story of what really matters calls us to live in a way that does not create others, does not create sacrificial victims or boys without bathing suits in order for everyone else to feel good, particularly to feel good about getting things back to normal, getting things to be the way they were at the expense of the other. Jesus brings this tendency of ours into the light, shows it for what is, is, and asks us now that we see it to find another way to live free. Some of you will remember James Allison. James was our Holy Week preacher in 2006. And he's pointed out in one of his essays that there are really two movements to many of these stories of Jesus healing on the Sabbath. There's a story of inclusion, but also a story of exclusion going on at the same time. The woman who'd been crippled for 18 years, is freed from her ailment. Everyone knew that that physical disability was a mark of God's judgment, that the afflicted, the different, the people who couldn't quite make it were pushed to the margins of society, excluded in all kinds of ways, and that that exclusion was justified as being part of the will of God, God's judgment. And so Jesus acts to free this woman from her societally imposed bondage, And he includes her and makes her stand tall. And she begins praising God. But not everyone was rejoicing. This extraordinary act of grace rocked the world of some who found their very being was being shaken. When our deeply held convictions, the values we thought we were taught by our parents, the practices and attitudes that shape our world, when these things are challenged, We generally react pretty badly at first, and the leaders of the synagogue were no different. They started to look around for someone to blame. There must be something wrong. They point their fingers at Jesus. They speak of evil. They look for a reason for their discomfort, a mechanism for restoring order, for getting back to normal, for returning to a place of comfort. And so they have a go at Jesus. There are six days on which you can heal. Could you not please just heal on those six days and leave the Sabbath to be the time when we imitate God and God's rest? And we take that seriously, and that's the way our community is, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And Jesus calls them out and says, listen, you, you feed your donkeys. You give your donkeys water on the Sabbath. Why, why can this woman not be restored to community at the, at the end of the days of creation where God rested? Why is that not the perfect thing to do on the Sabbath? And we're told they're put to shame, those leaders of the synagogue, and the crowd, ah yes, the crowd, the mob, rejoices and rejoices greatly. Jesus, they say, has done something wrong. And they, the losers, are put to shame doesn't sit well with the powers that were. And so we know what happened. They started whispering. And they started talking to others who felt just like they did. And they started feeling a little bit more confident and a little bit more strong and a little bit better. And before you knew it, just a few weeks later, that crowd is shouting, crucify him. That same crowd that were rejoicing, crucify him. The political winds have shifted and the mob has shifted with them, the group, the team, the congregation, the entire crowd who was cheering the victor for now is turning around and asking to get rid of Jesus. Oh, the delicious sense of being in the right, and oh, how fickle we are 
as long as we are on the winning team. So how do we escape this cycle, this of victimizing and being victimized, of, of finding the place of rejoicing that excludes other people so that they start feeling victimized and in turn try and turn things around, get rid of their problems, expel, create victims over and over and over. Now, challenging this pattern for followers of Jesus is not optional. We have to find that other way. We have to find the way that does not create victims in order to celebrate uh, and does not mean that we use our victimhood as a weapon to get those who are in the majority. It's hard spiritual work refusing to participate in this cycle. And it means being clear about who we are, about what matters. It means being clear about what's important to us, recognizing that that may not be the same thing that's important to the person sitting next to us in the pew or across town or across the world. And finding ways to stay connected with those who do not think of we do as we do and who make choices of which we do not approve. And for me, finding a way forward into this third way means returning to the place where we tell the story of what really matters, tell and enact the story here around the Lord's table with all sorts and conditions of humanity gathered around that table with us, all of us seeking the transforming grace and power of God, all of us looking to the Holy Spirit to lead us in the paths of righteousness, to show us the paths prepared for us to walk in, grant us grace to walk those paths with courage in the assurance of God's love. That's the unity of the Holy Spirit. It's not the unity that is dependent on exclusion. It's very tricky. And we don't get it right a lot of the time. We need to be confident of who we are and the choices we make, but humble with those who differ. It means not saying, well, they can just leave if they don't like it. And nor does it mean saying, oh my goodness, someone doesn't like it, so I've got to placate them by compromising what I think is really important about love and truth and justice and integrity and so on. The third way means that I will continue to bring life on the Sabbath, even if it offends someone's sense of propriety, and that someone has to do whatever they need to do, and I hope that they'll continue to do it around the Lord's table, finding compassion and charity in their hearts. And when we say such things, all of us who follow Jesus, when we stand apart, when we stand against the mob, when we say we're not going to be just blown about by the wind, we get into a vulnerable position because we stick out and we're a little different and we know what the mob does to people who are different. So we don't give up our critical faculties, our sense of right and wrong. We don't especially give up our commitments to offering food to the hungry and meeting the needs of the afflicted, which this parish you are so generous and wonderful about. But we do have to choose to remove the yoke that binds us together in a false way, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of evil, the blaming, instead doing what is just and compassionate. For when we do what is just and compassionate, we are ennobled. Then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. 
Watch out for blame. Do justice, and you will not be far from the kingdom of heaven. In a time of silence and response to the gospel, let us pray.